listening to The Gentleman's Guide to Midnight Cinema with Big Willie and the Samurai, bringing class to trash since 1977. All right, everybody, welcome to the GGTMC. We're keeping it tight today. We get a, we get a. We just found out right before we went on the air that uh, we got to try to keep it under an hour, right around an hour today. So, fun stuff. Let's see what we let's see. Let's see if the GGTMC can do it. It's a challenge. It is a challenge. We said in episode one, we went. Oh, wait, no, I don't need hey, that. I'm already up. That is the first challenge right there. Yes, it is. At the gate. So yeah, we, we got to keep it tight. My wife has to leave for work in an hour. It's. 5 a.m. right now. I am not caffeinated. I don't know if you are. So no, I I've been not. up for five minutes. <laughs> I've been up for literally three minutes. So. <laughs> I think I woke up a little late. But uh, yeah, so uh, well, let's get going. Then we are, we are uh, covering uh, Blind Man uh, from 1971, directed by one uh, Fernando Baldi. We went to the end. He's on the show, mm-hmm. and uh, Florida Straits from '87, directed by one Mike Hodges, who uh, most people would. Uh, he's not the first time he's been on the show. Kit Carter. Uh, this is actually the return of quite a few people to our show. We haven't had on the show in a while, so well, I don't know about quite a few people. Blind Man doesn't have anybody else in it, but whatever. Uh, so let's just get into what we've been watching. <laughs> well, my week's been small, which will benefit us. Um, so here it is, man. I watched Thor. And uh, I'll cut to the chase as much as I'd like to have some dramatic tension. Um, I liked it a lot more than you did. Now, it certainly wouldn't have been top 30 for me. Yeah. Um, but I was pleasantly surprised that Natalie Portman was in it. I thought it was it was self-aware. It certainly wasn't great. I told you it was an awkward mixture of of sci-fi and like um, fantasy, which and clumsy, clunky CGI. But I'd say it was an above-average comic book film, which in this day and age, you know, is fine by me. Hmm. Um, uh, I rewatched Drive on Blue. Oh, nice. And uh, it held up quite good. My score stayed the same. The L.A. skyline, like some of the night shots, it, it just looked beautiful mm-hmm. just beautiful man it's uh you know really really good um i was worried the score might go down after seeing thief and but it was silly for me to even think that um i rewatched orphan on blue as well which the blue eh, doesn't really add much to it um but uh it's still a really good horror film probably one of the better horror films the last five years and and they uh they do a good job with um, addressing, I don't want to spoil it, addressing the the ludicrousness of it by, at, near the end of the film, revealing something. So, okay, okay. everyone hasn't seen it, but they should see it. Yes, and, they uh, should. And that's all I watched, man. Yeah, yeah there you go. I think uh, only thing, only the things I watched was uh, documentaries. I watched uh, Chasing Ghost, which is a documentary about uh, arcades and uh, these kind of great arcade players. From the eighties, you know, like uh, Billy Mitchell and all these guys, kind of different than the the King of Kong or whatever it was, or Fistful of Quarters or whatever the hell it was. Um, it's it 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 it's fun and it it kind of uh, takes me back, you know, to that uh, time when the arcades were such a big deal. I mean, they, they'd, be, uh-huh. they'd be packed. You couldn't even 
you, know, you had to go to a certain time if you wanted to play anything because they'd be so packed. <laughs> and they smelled like cheese from all the old sweat. <laughs> yes, 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 exactly. I watched uh, the Triumph and Tragedy of the WCCW. Which, oh, uh, so jealous! Yeah, that one's uh, that one's on Netflix. Sent it down here. Um, good stuff, you know. I mean, it's it's good. There's a lot of tragedy. The Von Erich family there, so a lot of tragedy to talk about in that uh, <laughs> that promotion. So, but it's a good one. I definitely recommend you check it out when you get a chance. And the only thing I watched was being Elmo, which I was curious about because you know I watch a lot of Elmo nowadays. Oh yeah. Uh, so it's okay. It's just really kind of more of a story about Kevin Clash, the guy that does the voice of Elmo and stuff. But it doesn't really get into anything other than you know his kind of journey to being Elmo. That's really about it, and it's not it's not super informative. I think so. It's all right. About yeah. average. Average. Yeah, I wasn't too keen on watching Elmo. See, the Elmo voice is sort of like the child show voice of the the twenty one ten voice, and that everyone thinks they can do an Elmo voice, and it usually grates on my nerves. Oh yeah, <laughs> oh yeah. But uh, yeah, also since I haven't been on the air, I should say you know within the last week, I have uh, you know I just mentioned this yesterday on Facebook. Within the last week, I've met Pam Greer and Michael Shannon briefly. I know, so jealous, but so happy for you. If there's yeah. anyone I would, I would want it to be instead of me. It's you. Yeah, it, it was such a weird, weird thing. I actually went to see Elmo live. <laughs> I took my son to see a uh, Sesame Street. You know, one of these uh, Sesame Street touring things. And we we wanted to take him to one, see what it was like. And you know, he was either going to flip out or he was going to you know love it. And he ended up loving it. But while we were in the lobby. And we were running late, and he had stepped in a puddle. You know how it is with kids. Oh, he had yeah. stepped in a puddle and gotten all wet, and we got him all ready and all this stuff. I was like, oh, Jesus, we're all stressed out. And I'm standing there by this pole, and I hear this voice, and I look down, and I'm like, is that Michael Shannon? And he was talking to this little girl named Sylvia. Well, that, that is his daughter's name. And uh, I come to find out. And I was like, I think it's Michael Shannon. And I was like, well, I'm going to kick myself in the ass if I don't at least say, you know, hey, man, I loved you and take shelter or something, you know? So I just he he got up and he kind of looked at me and I looked at him and I say hey man you mind if I shake your hand because I you know I really admire your work and he's like oh and he, and he was you know kind of rubbing his face and stuff kind of doing his nervous Michael Shannon stuff which I guess is just him <laughs> and uh, it was pretty great man and he's he's about the same height as you and uh, not nearly as big as you would think he would be he's actually very slender wow. slender I think he was a, an imposing man certainly he does he and and you know. He, he's definitely his face is is still very imposing, but it was very fanboyish for me, and and you know occasionally I you know like all of us you know I fall victim to it, and and uh, but it was really great. I mean he was really gracious, and you know I wasn't going to ask him for a picture or anything because he was with his daughter. I, there's a certain rule I have, you know, where like if they're eating or if they're doing something that's very personal to them, I don't bother them. Uh, but after he got done talking to his daughter, is when I asked. You know, she had went off into the theater, and that's when I asked him for a handshake because you know I don't know how much time he spends with his daughter, so. I don't want to get in the way of that. True enough, but even still, man, that's very cool. I, I'm really happy for. I did two, two of the the greatest. Uh, yeah, and Pam Greer was just great. Had the chance to meet. Yeah, Metal Mikey can say for, uh, for sure. She smelled great. She looked great. And uh, me and Mikey were in line talking about it. We were both nervous. It was awesome. Oh man, <laughs> it was great. I hope, I hope she's in Columbus. <laughs> oh, she was in Columbus. She hope she hope she's in Indianapolis. You mean? <laughs> I hope she's in Indianapolis. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> All right, so that is that is everything. We are going to take a short break. We did that in six minutes. We are going to take a short break. <laughs> <laughs> this is GGTMC on speed. Yes. Um, and, and math. Yeah, and I guess, well, uh, which one do you think you have more to say about? 
Oh, probably. Oh, let me check. I don't know. I have a ton to say about either. Oh, um. Probably. Sometimes I find it's whatever you watch first. Yeah, I probably have more to say about Blind Men. All right, let's do Blind Men first. We're going to take a short break. We'll be back right after this. Hey, this is Scott of Married with Clickers. Tune in to hear my wife, Kat, and me discuss all sorts of movies. We'll cover everything from The Lost Weekend to Weekend at Bernie's. From The Big Sleep to Big Mama's House. Well, maybe not Big Mama's House. And the great thing about Kat is that she's not afraid to speak her mind. And would you be surprised to hear he was nominated for Best Actor that year? For that film? For that film. <laughs> but don't take my word for it. Just listen to what the Gentleman's Guide to Midnight Cinema has to say about our show. Well, it's a husband and wife show, and they discuss movies and stuff. Yeah, a very wife-husband show. High praise indeed. So come find us at marriedwithclickers.libson.com. It will save your life. Or maybe just help you kill an hour. crunchy stuff this morning get a little crunchy all right <laughs> all right uh, a little coc i think i was talking about them on the uh the gentleman's guide to midnight music the other group check which, it out <laughs> tough tits and hot licks yeah tough tits and hot licks so there we go it's got a great uh, photo at the top and it's just it's a lovely group that again you can lose all your time in <laughs> no yeah you want you thought you lost enough time with one we have three groups now <laughs> I know. All right, so uh, Blonde Man, nineteen seventy one, directed by Ferdinando Baldi. Pretty much, uh, uh, let's see, maybe, maybe even uh, this is almost maybe even a cult spaghetti among the cult that is spaghetti westerns. So, pretty interesting. So, this is your first time seeing it. I have seen it before. What did you think of Blonde Man? Okay, so just a few kind of uh, um, facts to, to sort of color the review. Uh, Alan, I saw him immediately in the name Alan Klein in the credits as a producer. And Alan Klein, uh, of course, I believe he was the manager of the Beatles. I know he had some some business dealings with the Beatles at the very least. Yes. Um, and I know Klein's name from being one of the producers of uh, Jodorowsky's films because uh, Lennon, I guess, had seen them and and uh, 
you know, he just they blew his mind. So Jodo had gotten money from Klein to make Holy Mountain. So that's kind of how I knew him uh, because yeah. I'm not overly a Beatles guy. Now, with this film, the connection is Ringo Starr, of course, and Ringo was in this film because the Beatles uh, had been breaking up, but just broke up and that it was a chance for him to kind of spread his wings and stuff. So, mm. Which is funny, Ringo ended up being the, the best actor of all the, the Beatles that were in movies. <laughs> oh, okay, I thought you were going to say in this film, which I was going to say. No, 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 no. He, he, I mean, but, he's, good. he's good in the film. but He's, he's, he's good in the film, but um, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll talk about it here in a second. So yeah, Fernando Baldi had just been on the show with one of our favorite <laughs> sleaze fests recently with uh, Terror Express, I believe it was. Mm-hmm. So, yes. Um, and then, of course, another name that we've had on the show before, one of the more celebrated um, uh, composers, Stelvio Cipriani, does the score, which I think is a good score. It's not iconic. And I think sometimes the problem with Spaghetti Western scores is I always expect iconic now. Yeah, because, yeah. You know, which is an unfair expectation. Well, Stel- Stelvio is kind of interesting anyway, though. Stelvio, out of all the composers out of Italy, he, he's really, really solid. But he's not the most iconic of the Italian composers, you know. I mean, a lot of his music isn't iconic. But I agree with you. Sometimes with the, you know, with uh, spaghetti westerns, you, you you're waiting for that that hook, right? Mm-hmm. That thing that you're going to whistle all day. <laughs> yeah, precisely. Whereas this was certainly serviceable. I didn't find it dull, but it was just well, you know, it was there. Mm-hmm. Um. So, yeah. Uh, the blind man, the titular. We haven't even. I don't think. Did you synopsize this film? I did not. I guess I can. Uh, I guess I should probably do that. Yes, uh, it might help a little bit. Let me see if I can find a synopsis. If not, I'll. I'll come up with one. A blind but deadly gunman is hired to escort fifty mail order brides to their minor husbands. Uh, says his business partners uh, double cross him, selling the women to bandit Domingo. And blind man heads into Mexico to pursuit and pursuit. Well, so there you go. That's pretty much it. Yeah, that kind of sums it up. But so I'm blind man heads into the one town he's looking for them, and it's uh, you know it's it, the first thing I see is is that it's a really good looking print. I think is a Koch Media from Germany who has, seems to have a pretty good reputation for putting out spaghetti westerns. Um, they've put this out, and it's a really great looking print. It should be said. I was kind of worried that it being a cult film, uh, we haven't seen spaghetti is always treated as, as well as they should. Yeah, yeah. I've seen some bad prints of this, so I was kind of impressed that this one looks okay. And it should be said, the the proper length of the film is, I think, an hour and 41 versus the 85-minute uh, American cut shreds yeah. version. I can't imagine how, what, what they all, I mean, this movie moves pretty quick, so I can't imagine what mm-hmm. they cut out. I guess nudity, probably. Yeah, definitely. There's an excessive amount of nudity. Well, I mean, excessive in, in that there's a lot of nude people on screen at once. <laughs> And and also for for the genre, there's an excessive amount of nudity. I would say because I don't think of spaghetti western as, even though it's morally ambiguous, it's certainly not usually sleazy. Yeah. Yes. So you might see a tit, but there's a lot of tits and ass. It's <laughs> almost like during some of the scenes, it's it's just uh, you like there's a lot of nude women on screen at the same time, which yes. is which is good. Um. So yeah, he's he's going around saying, "I want my fifty women," and it's just such a great hook for the film. <laughs> you know, it's something you don't see every day, especially in a. In a genre that's morally ambiguous, to mm-hmm. have our hero be this blind man who is trying to get these fifty women that he's been he sold as mail order brides, it's it's it really is the height of moral of moral ambiguity. It's 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 a very misogynistic film, mm-hmm. and uh, I can say that with with comfort because I mean it is. I mean, women there's a lot of women getting smacked. Uh, women are basically like cattle in this film, so. Mm-hmm. Um, 
if you know if you have a problem with that, you're probably not going to dig the film much. But as it stands alone as a misogynistic spaghetti western, it works because it is a great hook when he walks into Chi Town and says, "I want my fifty women." Yes, you know he says that like fifty times. Well, it seems like fifty times in the film, but <laughs> it's really great that uh, you know it has that hook. It, it makes it it, stand, it makes it stand out from the genre. It does. It's it's a really great hook. Um, and then you know he's. Uh, I have to ask though, right out of the gate, you know, when I see Tony Anthony, was it Tony Anthony or was it the love child of? Um, Giancarlo Giannini and the Wolf Goblin King. <laughs> yeah, Tony Anthony's got a unique look. I mean, he he, 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 he he's kind of puppy dog like in a, in a yeah. weird way. Uh, he works. I mean, he knows how to he knows how to use it and stuff. I, I, remember, I read that he was very very uh, he was in a lot of pain because this is old school contacts. So these are these, these are glass, and uh, they said you know that they they essentially were going to make a series of these because Tony's mostly known for his three D run. And that he made in the late seventies, early eighties, and his there's stranger. a stranger, yeah, the stranger films, which I think is a trilogy, almost a quadrilogy of stranger films, which are spaghetti westerns, which I'm sure we'll probably cover at some point because mm-hmm. they're pretty good, they're not bad, and um, he's he's a very serviceable one, but he is very puppy dog like, very uh, there's something very likable about Tony Anthony's face as opposed to like it's not very like it's not like cut in stone like a lot of your spaghetti western guys no but it's it's not overly baby face either it's a good kind of balance yeah. um yeah and i mean he he was smart because he wrote this i think he came up with the story he raised the money uh, alongside Klein i think that he was in italy when um the boom of the spaghetti western was just starting like a festival of dollars to come out and it was just blowing up and he smartly got himself into the genre yeah when yeah. the the goal was good, real good. Born so, born in West Virginia, Tony Anthony. Oh, nice! Yeah. The great state of West Virginia. Yep. Um. So yeah, it's uh in this one. I'm kind of disappointed we didn't see more of it. But early on, we see the horses really as the mythic sidekick. Yeah. You know, he talks to his horse a lot because he's blind. You get this fantastic image of the blind man uh, being led into town, holding his horse by the tail. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. It, the very first five minutes of the film establishes how important the horse is to him, mm-hmm. and uh, it's pretty great. The horse is really, really pretty great in this. Well, well trained horse. I don't know if I've ever seen in a spaghetti western a horse. It's almost like a trick horse. Mm-hmm. So There's a lot it of neat stuff. Well, it's great because early on when he's getting there, he's got this leather map that you know it's not braille, but the letters have been depressed in the leather that yeah. he can rub it, and uh, he'll he'll stop somewhere and say, "Where's you know how to get to Mexico?" and and they'll say, well, it's, well, you're blind. And he says, well, just point. My horse will know where to go. And it, it's really great. So, yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah. So, a lot of tits and ass we talked about. Um, and, yeah, a lot of, just, let me cross it. It was kind of the same note. Um, <laughs> but, but yeah, in, in saying that, with a lot of large skin in the Western, it was, it's really great to see that one sequence. It's almost like a women in prison moment when there's these, all these large, really like um, Fellini esque women hoisting wooden barrels of water onto these this nude kind of um, <laughs> penned-in bunch of women. And yeah, yeah. it's a, just a bizarre sequence, but it was it was really great. It, seriously, it's, it's like uh, they're washing, you know, they're washing, they're washing uh, some type of, uh, you know, some type of cattle or some type of, uh, you know, product. And uh, mm-hmm. it's a great scene, it really is. And it is very Fellini-esque in some weird way. Because those, those women are large and, uh, you know, they get these... Obese women that are washing these uh, hot women, supposedly, you know, which most of them are pretty good looking, must be said. 
very buck, you know, very buxom, very. Uh, very oh high. yeah, <laughs> definitely, man. Doming, uh, Domingo comes into the scene, uh, chewing up scenery. Oh yeah, yeah, and this film men are very much savages. Yes, <laughs> very savage. Yeah. No impulse, just there's no filter. Impulses are immediately met. Um, and there's a really great. I love that moment when the theater's full of soldiers and it's just they're going crazy. And the woman comes out and should be said the woman. I think she plays the character by the name of Mama. I think she's sort of like the, um, the Heidi Fleiss of the film, like the 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 madam, the house madam or whatever. She was gorgeous. Yeah, sweet Mama. Sweet Mama. She was sweet for sure. But there's that great moment, and then of course a wild bunch moment with a theater full of Mexican soldiers. Yeah, yeah. Which you know that's kind of says it all. Um, We've covered another spaghetti western where our hero has like a bat, a cave, bat cave. Um, was, that, was it High Plains Drift? No, was it? Uh, was it Jan- one of the Jangle? Was it Johnny Hamlet? Maybe the yeah, maybe maybe it was the Johnny Hamlet film. I think it was Johnny might Hamlet. I think it might, I think it was it. I was looking through that filmography for Sweet Mama. I don't really see anything else that really jumps. Oh, she's in a sky full of stars for a roof. Oh, which I've seen with uh, Adorf and uh, uh, what's his name there. <laughs> yeah. Spaghetti Man uh, with the perm, remember? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, Jean Maria Volante. Um, I'm not remembering. So, <laughs> oh well, let's move past it. Enough time. So yeah, it's um, what's this? A women? Oh, it's just so odd that this. Um, what is this shuttling of? Oh fuck it, I can't read it. We're moving on. <laughs> Um, so yeah, Cipriani's here. We talked about is good, not great. And Baldy has a great visual eye because of all these odd quirks in this film. And I have to feel that, as we've said before, Baldy's a good, serviceable director, but I don't think he's a an odd tour. And I have to think that Anthony, and no pun intended, considering the name of the film, had a specific vision for the film and the way he wanted it to be shot in kind yeah. of an off kilter way. Yeah, that really does work well in the film. It's it's there's 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 comedy in this film. It's it's slight, but it's there. It's slight and it's very, it's almost black comedy. Yeah, yeah. And it, uh, it works for, the, it makes it, again, it's another one of those little things that makes this, like I said, a cult spaghetti among the cult that is spaghetti. Absolutely. That's a very good way to put it. And just, um, I'll tell you, this scene will come up later on for me, but there's this scene where they're going, they're shuttling these women through the desert and chicks, and then, you know, the uh, sort of battle ensues. And women are getting shot in the back, and when they're getting shot, they're getting dragged through hot sand while they're still attached to a, a horse. Um, it's just so mental. Like, I don't think I've seen anything, I don't think I've ever seen a film where that many women have been shot, punched, smashed into the ground, and ever. Like, yeah. I'm laughing, but I'm not laughing because it's women getting punched and shot. I'm laughing just because... It's just it, so insane. It's just a weird moment in the movie, and it's just, it's like, it's one of those great moments on our show where we watch a film, and... And, you know, I had not seen this film in many a year. And it's just, it's really nice to see something kind of new or different. You know, it's almost uh, Jodorowsky-like in a lot of ways. It is. There's a few Jodorowsky flourishes in this film. Like, there's that um, that little uh, um, that sort of funeral slash wedding ceremony. Yeah. It's like <laughs> the white and the black costumes and the dancing and stuff. It felt very, um, oh, I can't remember the word I'm looking for. Um, like an alchemy kind of... <laughs> ritual or something it's just really bizarre um and uh and there's a lot of fighting that that involves leg locks in this film or six like scissor locks <laughs> yeah Matt Sacco, Matt Sacco would like this he, he's definitely he's a fan of the scissors he is man and there's it's weird because there's a leather thonged leather man near the back end of the film <laughs> yeah, yeah. 
<laughs> odd. Uh, and a really great setting for the final showdown in this film. Yeah. I mean, really great. Like, it's, it's really fantastic. And I have to say, we haven't really talked much about the cast. Ringo is good. You'd think playing a Mexican bandit, he would be out of his element. But he, he did acquit himself well in the films he worked in. Like, I was saying to Bryn, uh, that'll be the day, the, the British uh, coming-of-age story, uh, which is a really great film. Um, uh, he's really great in that. He's really good in this in a smaller part. But I have to say, someone I didn't really know much about and looking at it, it seems like his best work was done with Tony Anthony, Lloyd Batista. Yeah. He was great in this. He almost reminded me of um, of the guy from uh, Shout, uh, Alan Bates. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and the thing about Lloyd Batista is he's still working. I mean, he was in Jean-Claude Van Damme's... Uh, in, in Hell. In Hell, and he's from Cleveland. Oh, wow. So it's so bizarre how some of these people end up in these spaghetti westerns, you know? <laughs> so, yeah, no kidding, man. It's so weird. But I think, you know, what, what helps Ringo Starr in this film also is uh, he doesn't have a whole lot of dialogue. Uh, he, yep. he, they give him outlandish uh, costumes. <laughs> He's got these beard. like he's got these kind of pastel. Yeah, and he grows a nice beard and but he looks like he could be the brother of Lloyd Batista a little bit. Yeah, he does for sure cuz they don't they don't leave him on screen enough to expose him or the the angle of the film of what right. his character is supposed to be. And you know, Ringo's, you know, Ringo, but he does have a lot of character in his face cuz he's got that kind of unique large nose and kind of mm-hmm. a you know, kind of an odd look to him. So that that kind of helps him too. I think it might be why he was able to make some films and, you know, was never a great actor, but, uh, you know, obviously he was always very serviceable because he's, you know, he's just very odd looking. He would have fit in. He would have fit in. Maybe the Coen brothers ought to bring Ringo back. Yeah, man. Absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. But uh, those are all my notes. Like I said, the great last setting for that final showdown was fantastic with all these crosses and mountains and kind of gnarled old trees. So. Yes. It's very, very, very spaghetti. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, so, you know, I've said before on the show, and, and I'll say again, you know, Baldy, you know, I'll say every time he comes on, I mean, he he tends to be, it seems to me, or it feels to me, like the overlooked of the Italian directors. And, you know, I'm kind of glad that we've we've uh, done a lot of his films on the show. Um, it's been great. I mean, he still has a lot more to do. I mean, there's still a really good spaghetti he did called Forgotten Pistolero, and um, we'll definitely do that at some point. So I want to do uh, Texas Adios as well. Yeah, which Texas I really Adios. Like. Yeah, that's a good one, too. Back. But he, he was a very, like you said before, very serviceable. Uh, not not a master in no way, shape or form, but he reliable. Kn- yeah, very reliable, and he knows how to shoot what you know he needs to shoot. And then you know he'd do a film like you know like we did this recently, what was Terror Express or whatever, where that's out of his realm because he was making spaghetti westerns, but he still did that pretty serviceable too. So, oh yeah, so they you know he's always you know he always did pretty good work. So uh, it's always good to have. Uh, to me, he's like the unsung hero of the genre of uh, spaghetti westerns, but also in a lot of ways. Um, kind of unsung in uh, Italian cinema altogether. He's not like a Mario Kano or one of these guys who kind of gets a little bit more praise than, you know, actually deserves. We've talked about that last time when we talked about Weapons of Death a little bit, but mm-hmm. this film has a very strong facial hair contingent, it must be said. Oh, it does. There's a lot of facial hair there, to the point where I would imagine lunch on this set, if everybody was eating soup, there was a lot of hair in the soup. <laughs> Yikes. Because yeah. there was a ton of facial hair in this film. And it was good facial hair, though. I mean, there's a lot of thick beards and stuff. And yeah, you're right. Lloyd Batista is kind of like the surprise of the film. He's very much the laughing maniac Mexican bandit, right? Oh, yeah. And uh, he's pretty great. And his sister, I think Sweet Mama's his sister, Candy and Domingo's sister. She's a fine piece, man. Yeah. And I like when Tony Anthony just rips her clothes off. There's one scene where she's like burned at the stake. <laughs> you didn't even talk about that. It's just, and by the good guy. Yeah. Well, he rips her clothes off first, too. Just, yeah. 
<laughs> and there's another scene where Ringo, you know, he's in love with this girl. This is all kind of driven by not only his 50 women getting stolen, but also Ringo's in love with this one girl in this town. He's so in love with her that he beats her. <laughs> yeah. You know, very, uh, very misogynistic. I mean, this film is just, women-wise, it, it's very rude. You know, this is this is a Doc Zom special. It's going to give him a little hell there. The bastard backed out of me in Columbia. In Columbia. Columbus, I mean. <laughs> Columbia, Jesus. <laughs> We had to get the white powder. <laughs> oh no! But you know that's another story altogether. Let's say that, let's just say that Sam wasn't in Columbus, so I didn't have sex in Columbus. All right, that's right, man. <laughs> uh, okay, but uh, yeah, there's mass nudity, there's mass massacres, and there's mass spaghetti sweat in this film. I mean, this this film is all mass spaghetti stuff and just insane, man. It's just it's a bizarre movie. It really is. It kind of it, it fits. It just kind of squeezes out some uniqueness to it. And I think it's why it's in a lot of people's top ten spaghetti westerns. Uh, you know, a lot of famous people's top ten or top twenty spaghetti westerns. This tends to be in there, and I think it's because it's kind of so different than I would say so. A lot of the genre. I mean, it has a lot of the same conventions, obviously, but it has these nice little quirks with the fifty virgins and the. And the, uh, you know, the blind man and kind of a little bit of comedy, Ringo Starr. I mean, all these little strange things. Uh, and the, by saying that, the comedy works because it's not forced. It kind of comes natural. It's it, it's it's kind of rude at the same time. It's not over the top. There's no, like, you know, slapstick moments or anything like that. And the film is violent. It should be said. Oh, it is. It definitely is. And it almost feels like the, the film's humor is an extension of Anthony. Yes. Yeah. And there's a lot of great moments where Anthony uses his blindness as, like, a setup. Like mm-hmm. I, I mean, the four banditos in the little town there, he uses it for a setup, and then he just fucking rails on the motherfuckers with this this rifle he has with a uh, kind of a bayonet on the end of it. He uses like almost essentially like a walking stick. Yes, which is pretty great. And I also like that the bad guys in the film, the bandits, they almost look like post-apocalyptic thugs. <laughs> <laughs> some weird, some weird choices here. Like some of them wear like the bandolero with no shirt. <laughs> well, it's like the leather man with the leather thong. <laughs> no, it's. It is very much post-apocalyptic. <laughs> it's so weird. It's like, you know, it's like Fulci saw it. And he's like, huh, I got an idea. <laughs> like, yeah. I wouldn't want to smell that leather thong at the end of this shoot, man. Oh, oh God. <laughs> and leather, doesn't it, doesn't it tighten up when, he's, when it gets wet? I think so. It gets <laughs> hard and unforgiving. And the so, crack of your ass. <laughs> so we're keeping this show tighter than that leather man's thong today. <laughs> <laughs> Off the air, should be said, we said tighter than a nun's ass. So, but yes. Yeah. In, in full disclosure, we don't really know what nuns do in their spare time. <laughs> so, no. But, uh, no, this film, is, it, it's solid. And, and uh, I hope more people pursue it because um, it is good. Tony Anthony didn't make a whole lot of films, but he made he made some good stuff. And we've had an opportunity to interview Tony forever. And sadly, just because our schedule is so jacked up, we haven't really had a chance to. But hopefully we will at some point because I'd love to talk to him about this film and the Stranger films and uh, even the 3D stuff he did. In the uh, late 70s, early 80s, because uh, he doesn't have a whole lot of films, like I said, but he does have an interesting filmography in the very small amount of time. And since he was a producer, I'm sure he's got some really great stories. Oh, about, definitely, because he was privy to sort of everything that was going on. Yeah, so I'm sure he's got some like great behind-the-scenes type stories and stuff, so I'd love to hear him uh, talk about them. So hopefully we'll get to that at some point, but who knows. But I've been in contact with his handler for I don't know how long, and... Yeah, because they approached us because of a great connection we have. And yeah. it was like, well, we would have loved to, but it was just scheduling. We can barely get our own show out, never mind an interview right now. Yeah, yeah. So it's just, it's one of those things. So, but hopefully we'll get to it at some point. You know, we got him lined up. We got Roger Ward lined up. We got all these guys lined up, but we just haven't had a chance to talk to him yet. So hopefully we'll get that worked out at some point in time. Um, but yeah, that's all my notes. 
Let's hear your make or breaks MVPs. Make or break is that slaughter in the desert. It's just, I guess it's so bizarre and edited in such a quick kind of frenetic way. It's, it's just insane. Um, my MVT is the sort of odd nature of the film. I do, you know, think Anthony deserves the credit for that because, like I said, it was his film. He, he wrote it. He came up with the story. He's the star. He clearly had a vision for the film, no pun intended. But I'm just going to go with the, the overall oddness, I guess, that I'll, I'll, I'll cheat here. Uh, the overall oddness that Anthony brought to the film. Okay. Um, and my score is a 7.25. I think it's it's definitely one that I would like to own mm-hmm. because of its unique nature of spaghetti westerns. Um I wouldn't say it's top ten. Certainly, the, the score would indicate that. But I do, I do think it's very good. And and in conversation, speaking about spaghetti westerns, I would always ask people now, "Hey, have you seen Blind Man?" Yeah, yes, yes, yeah. Because so. it'd, it'd be interesting to see, you know, for other people to see it. Oh yeah. Okay, uh, my make or break is uh, the same scene because it's so fucking crazy. <laughs> uh, I, I kind of knew when I saw the film again that you would probably pick that because that that is a, just a, an amazing scene. It really is. It's, it looks great. It's, I gotta see if it's on YouTube. <laughs> it's just great stuff. Um, my MVT, I'm gonna go with Anthony, but it's for the same reasons that you did. Uh, you know, he's kind of involved in everything here, so it's kind of his uniqueness and his unique ideas that kind of help uh, bring this thing to fruition. So, I'm, you know, I really, I'm gonna go with him. And also, you know, he's he's good in the film. You know, he, he plays the blind man pretty good, and I felt bad for him. You know, it, you know, I heard that he was in a lot of pain, and it, you can't really tell in the film, but he doesn't blink a lot, so that tells me that he probably was hurting pretty bad. Because <laughs> mm-hmm. what I've heard from those old contacts is they felt like uh, cups in your eyes, so you couldn't really do much. So if he's not blinking, I'm thinking he's hurting. Uh, my score is higher than yours. Uh, I love this film. It's not a top 10 spaghetti for me. I've seen a lot of spaghettis, but uh, it's definitely probably top 15, top 20. Uh, I go 8 out of 10 on this one. Oh, wow. I could go 7.5, yeah. to be said. But. Yeah, I mean, it's still close. It's not, And I think you still feel the same way I do about it. It's it's a very solid, solid spaghetti western uh, and a very overlooked one in a weird way. People are blind to this one, to make a pun. Yes. Uh, so they should definitely check it out. If you're into spaghettis, definitely look into Blind Man. Oh, know. yeah. Or even if you're kind of on the, on the border and you want to see something a little different that might get you further into the genre, this would be a good start. Yeah. Yes, indeed. All right, so that is Blind Man. We cranked that puppy out in like 20-something minutes. <laughs> now, nice. here's the test. Let's see if we can crank out the rest of the show in 23 minutes. All right, Ooh. we are going to take a short break, come back, and discuss Florida Straits from 87. We'll be back right after this. Did you know that Asian people prefer being called Orientals? Did you know that Ching Chong, Ting Tong is a respectful salutation in all Asian cultures? Did you know that paper cuts can cause massive arterial sprays in Orientals? No? Well, then you should listen to Podcast Without Honor and Humanity, the Internet's fourth best Asian film podcast. Every week, your host, Jake McLarchuge, will cover two Asian films that can range from the obscure to the notorious, from a sunny Chiba werewolf film to a splatter gore atrocity, from Category 3 to the Korean New Wave and beyond. Tune in at the website, podcastwithouthonorandhumanity.libsyn.com. Libsyn is spelled L-I-B-S-Y-N. Or you can just search Podcast Without Honor and Humanity in iTunes. So give Podcast Without Honor and Humanity a shot and get cultured. Victory. Hi, this is Angie Bates, a.k.a. Sweet Prudence, and you're listening to The Gentleman's Guide to Midnight Cinema with Big Willie and the Samurai.
back from break. Uh, when all else fails, play the Black Keys, I say. so. <laughs> I, I say yes, is all. <laughs> that song's got such a great fucking groove to it, man. It's ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Come on, Mike. Mike Hensley, get on the get on the Black Keys boat, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> all right, uh, so we are back. Florida Straits, 87. You picked it. Let's, let's synopsize. Here we go. <laughs> tearing through shit and it should be yes. said i got to spend a lot of time with jake in columbus and, and yuri and stuff and I, I haven't got to spend as much time with jake so it was really great to kind of get closer with jake while i was up there so should be oh yeah man super 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 cool couple uh this film i don't have a synopsis but it's basically a film about a down on his luck uh skipper of a boat who loses a card game ends up with a young wide-eyed college-aged uh hand for his boat and they end up intertwined with Raul Julia a Cuban who's been let out of a Cuban prison after 20 years and is in Florida for four days before he makes them an offer they can't refuse <laughs> yes. um, while wearing aviators it, it should be said yes a great pair of aviators <laughs> and it should be said this was a made for TV movie made for HBO back in the day it's got a pretty great uh, cast uh, between um, Fred, Fred Ward, Raul Julia um Huggy Bear, fuck, uh, Antonio Fargus, Antonio Fargus, and uh, yeah, so it's and it's certainly uh, you know it looked kind of like it was going to be an interesting off the beaten path film, but if it is, remains to be seen. So let's hear what you have to say. Okay, um, we'll get talking about it here a little bit. Uh, of course, Mike Hodges has an interesting filmography. Everything from Get Carter to Sleeper to or to Croupier, I should be said. I don't think he just Sleeper. I have a fucking uh, Paul Schrader. Uh, or whatever. I don't know what the fuck I'm talking about. But anyway, somewhere in the mix there, he decided to do Flash Gordon. It's always bizarre. I always had to bring that up. And this is a bizarre, bizarre choice. It's such a low-rent American choice for such a British director. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah it, it is a weird choice. Um, I heard he doesn't want to ever talk about this one. Like, he's been asked about it, and he's like, I'm not talking about it. It was the worst experience of my life. You kind of get that. You kind of get that from the film, too. Yeah. It should be said. Yeah. Uh, this film feels very chopped up and weird in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's not his first time on the GGTMC. Like I said, we did uh, Gekata. You know, we did that film. And uh, this is made for HBO. But yeah, you do get Raul Julia, which is nice to get him back on the show. I, I, Hell yeah. Know, I love him. You know, he's great. He's good in this film. It should be said. Mm-hmm. He's very solid. Rocks a white suit like nobody's business. Evidently, he's one of these guys that can wear a white suit anywhere and not get dirt on it. Uh, it's one of those amazing white suits. <laughs> and Fred Ward is always, you know, very, very serviceable. The The great... Uh, Fred Ward, who I can, who I would have loved if he would have been in Spaghetti Westerns in the sixties and seventies. Oh my because- God, he was—he's a guy that should have been bigger, man. We said that when we did Remo. Just so great, man. He's got such a great look and comedic timing. Just God, he should have been bigger than he was. Well, he can do it all. He can do comedy. He can do drama. He can do you know the tough guy. He can do the you know happy-go-lucky guy that's falling in love. He can do anything. Tremors and yeah. the comedies on display. Yeah, and then we get Antonio Fargus who. Uh, has never met a scene that he can't chew up or try to chew up. And that, <laughs> Jesus Christ. He is yeah. out of control in this film. El Gato Negro. El Gato Negro. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, he's he's the black cat. <laughs> <laughs> but he's he's one of these bad guys that can't be killed. It's like it's and he shows up in the most fucked up places. At, at one point, man, they 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 thought he's fallen in a well. He's they've tried to kill him I don't know how many times. And then he, he somehow he ends up on like a ridge line out in the middle of the ocean. I'm like, how the fuck did he get out there? <laughs> Well, because he's El Gato Negro. <laughs> he chews up scenery like the black cat's lap up milk. Yeah, he is. He's out of control in this film, but it, he's fun. It should be said. I mean, you know, he, mm-hmm. he's having fun. Let's put it that way. And there's a small partner with Victor Argo, who plays Pablo. Uh, Victor Argo, I've known him mostly for the playing the shop owner and taxi driver and some other films, but he works with Jarmish, some New York actor, but evidently he's of uh, 
maybe he's of Colombian descent or something. Cuban. Yeah, Cuban descent. There you go. Something, something like that. So, because he rocks it pretty good here, playing like a little general. Uh, film, you know, it opens with some nice bluesy hot licks. So, you know, I thought we were oh, yeah. in for some nice, you know, some nice sweaty sleaziness. So I think it's, I think it's Miami we're looking at. Maybe, yeah, I'm pretty sure it is. I think it is because it does feel like a Florida travelogue. And I'm going to do my notes as you do yours here because we're really pinched. Um, and, and not just hot licks, but like triumphant hot licks. So I'm looking now. It's actually was shot in Gaffney, South Carolina. Yeah, I know. I saw that. I was really surprised. Yeah, so interesting. But it's close enough. Uh, Look, it looks. Gaffney. Yeah, it looks like Miami, big time. So. Interesting. Uh, two minutes in, we get uh, Raul Julia with a switchblade. So I'm thinking, man, here we go. You know, he's he's a jumpy dude. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, I miss Raul Julia. You know, he's a shamey dad. You know, and and it. You know, I, I, I'm going to be in for this film, man. We got Raul Julia. We got aviators. We got switchblades. <laughs> it's Just G- the '80s. It's it's GGTMC all the way, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, we get a sweaty card game with an obnoxious LA Raiders hat. Which which I, I was surprised wasn't a Miami Hurricanes hat considering the year it was made. Yeah, yeah, but, but the, your boy here, Mac, he's rocking it straight, Bill, like they do nowadays. Joe. Straight, Bill, man, he's yeah, exactly. <laughs> no sticker on the underside, though. I had a lot of problems with Mac. Oh, I had an infinite amount of problems with Mac. That character was very obnoxious to me, and and yeah. uh, it just he didn't work for me at all. No, not at all, not at all. There was no there was no connection with him like there is between like Kevin Bacon and Fred Ward. No, and like trimmers or something. And Fred Ward, you know, he seems like he makes everybody around him better. So I don't see how he couldn't do. It. So that that tells me that Mac was just not that good. So terrible, terrible. What's, I don't know what the actor's name is. I don't fucking care. We don't have time to care. But uh, Dan, Daniel awesome. Jenkins, that should be said. Yeah, so. No good. Um, yeah, hitch a ride on the White Witch, right, man? So <laughs> that's the that's name that's, of his boat, <laughs> the White I Witch. I know. It's a great name. <laughs> and I think they changed it to like the Black something. <laughs> or they call it the uh, what is it? Ro- something uh, Blanca. <laughs> That's the Bruja Blanca. I guess that's the White Witch in Spanish. I guess I don't know. <laughs> yeah, you see Fred Ward painting a little wooden sign. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but the, yeah, the thing about the Fargus character is, you know, he, he's 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 a savage and he's out of control, but he's also kind of just a dumbass. And, yeah, and, he's a bit of a meathead, shoot himself in the foot kind of guy. <laughs> the scene in the junkyard is, is kind of tells you the ridiculousness of this. It's like they didn't know what to do with Fargus as a bad guy, so they. They throw him into a junkyard, and he can be everywhere at once. That's because he is El Gato Negro, <laughs> and it's just—it's so ridiculous, man. And this—he could have been like a bad guy for the ages for our show, but he just turns mm-hmm. out. And I was hoping that's what he would be, because I saw the name in the credits. I was like, "Ooh, this is going to be fun." He's called El Gato Negro, <laughs> and uh, it's Antonio Fargas, who, like I say, has never met a scene he couldn't chew. And uh, I was like, "This is going to be fun." He—he he could be one for the ages, but he just turns out to be a big waste and a big dumbass, and it's kind mm-hmm. of—it's kind of a shame because. You know, Raul Julia and Fred Ward are fine in this film. Victor Argo's good in this film. And everybody else is pretty much is pretty serviceable, except for Daniel Jenkins. And, and, and Fargus is good. It's just they use him wrong, I think. That's right. I would agree with that. You know, that's that's the problem, probably. Uh, this film just feels like it's it's it feels like it was a mess to make. Yeah, and, and we just wanted to get through it. And I don't know enough about it to know anything. but And there's nothing like any trivia on IMDb. I'm looking to see if maybe we can find out some juicy details. But... It, it it is it's a little bit of a mess. Uh, it's not mm-hmm. a great not a great film. It, you know, I enjoyed it for what it was. Uh, it's average Saturday, yeah. Sunday afternoon fare, yeah. I think. I, you know, I like the journey into Cu- uh, into Cuba. You know, it's it's it it is. It's a very. Well, I'm not going to say breezy because I had some issues with it. Breezy would mean I was just kind of kicking back and enjoying it, but for me, that's what breezy means. But it just, mm-hmm. I don't know, man. I had I had some big issues with it. It's very sloppy. And very, yeah. very un-Mike Hodges. 
Yeah, it is. That's the biggest problem. But that's all my notes, really, man. I don't really have a whole lot to say about this film other than if you like Fred Ward and Raul Julia, I'd definitely check it out. But be warned, it's not their best work. If Fred Ward, if if two lesser actors were in this, it would be an unforgivable mess, an unforgivable bore. Yes, it would. I mean, it's like, uh, you know, Barry Sanders carrying those Detroit Lion teams at times. Yeah. I mean, you know, there wasn't, those cupboards were pretty bare, but they, they had a couple horses they could run with. Right, right. Um, so, yeah, this film, unfortunately, you know, being a VHS rip, because the humidity of, of that area and, and the soft 80s look, like it's, <laughs> it's a bit of a soft print, <laughs> yes. you know. Yes. But that's just the way it goes. Um, tough tits, Ward shows us. He's still got the tough tits, even though he's riding the White Witch. Yeah, yeah. Not afraid to take his shirt off. Not afraid to take his shirt off. And we said, yeah, what a great look Ward had. Um, it, it's interesting, you know, in the 80s, there were so many films set in Miami, weren't there? I mean, yeah. everyone from the Italians were coming over here to shoot Miami set films to a lot of stuff that was going on because it was just, it was a hotbed yeah. and of, there were, of pop culture and culture in the 80s. Yeah. And there was a lot of money flowing through Miami, it should be said, too. A lot too. of money and a lot of chachi. <laughs> for, for another reason. So I think a lot of people came over. <laughs> I think that's my Hodges. He came for the cocaine and the, and the save for the the blow in the sand. That's why he was here, man. Yeah, um, he was snorting lines off our old Julia's white suit. Exactly, exactly. And there's some great '80s uh, Zom high cut bikinis. Oh yeah, oh yeah. So yeah, the ladies uh, are the ladies are fine. I mean, they're, you know, there's some nice. I mean, they're they're background fodder, but you know, they're nice. They I love when Julia proposes to them. Uh, you know. Listen, uh, I have a, a business proposition for you. There's two million dollars worth of gold stashed in Cuba. We just have to go get it. And and they say, uh, well, what's the catch? And Julia says, no catch. And I'm thinking to myself, oh, the catch is you motherfuckers have to get it out of Cuban water, like you know, or you cross into Cuba to get it. That's the catch. Pretty big catch. That's a pretty big catch. Um, <laughs> let me flip my page here. Uh, the score is really too synthy, playful at times. Like, it should have been kind of grittier and more tense to build tension, considering, you know, they were going into Cuba, and it just felt too playful. Yeah, that's the thing. The The intro music, I was like, okay, we're in for some good stuff, man. We get some bluesy hot licks here. It's going to be old yeah. school. But it never really capitalizes on that, and it is, it is it's kind of goofy. Yeah. And the, the score is kind of running neck and neck with the Jenkins character. Just too goofy and just didn't need to be in there, but... And of course, they give Jenkins the young blood, the Uzi. That's the last guy you want to give the Uzi, man. Give it to Ward, or because uh, Ward's very much like a Jack Burton-esque character in this film. Right, right. Um, give it to Ward, man. He can cut some motherfuckers down. Him or, or Julia. Um, I liked the, the that half-built kind of Cuban, not a monument, but I guess it was like it was supposed to be like a big energy, like a like a power plant. And it's interesting with all those rebar sticking out and all this concrete. Yeah, that that looked really great. No, it did. It did. That that was probably my favorite stuff. Was the scene shot in that uh, like abandoned power plant, mm-hmm. and uh, you know the junkyard and stuff. The boat was pretty cool too. But yeah, the, the the destinations and the locations were better than the actual film. That's that's a mm-hmm. that's not a good thing to say. Yeah, no, it's very true. And Jenkins really began like the, when the moment when I was like the straw that broke the camel's back was when the Cubans kind of grabbed him and he says. I'm an American citizen. Do you want an international incident? And that's when I was like, I'm done. I'm done with you, motherfucker. Yeah. Yeah, he, was a, he, was a, he was a crybaby. And also when they were going through like the, the jungle and stuff, he would cry. Ugh. Come on, man. Yeah, it was brutal. Um, I do have to say, though, there's a moment when Julia performs the fastest choke out in the history of cinema. Yeah. 
He's got a Vulcan death group, man. He does, man. Lightning round styles. Um, and I kind of went with you, and while not boring, um, it, the film isn't jam-packed, and it was weird because I looked at this, the monitor, or the monitor, yeah, the monitor, and over an hour in, not much had really happened. I mean, at least it didn't feel that way, despite the fact that they had ventured into Cuban water and there was this tense card game, all this shit had happened, but it just, it didn't really have a, like a, a feeling of kind of weight to what, what they were doing. You right, know? right, right. That's the thing. And this is the kind of movie that if, like, if me and you were together and we threw it on. We'd have t- fun riffing. We'd have fun riffing, but I think about 40 or 50 minutes into it, we'd be like, let's watch something else. <laughs> mm, let's put on some Indonesian style, man. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, there's some really great uh, Fulci Fog. Up, yeah. in so, up in southern South Carolina? Yeah, there, at one point. I mean, there it's is, thick. man. It's thick, it's heavy. And I got to say, I don't want to say too much, but there's like a book page tribute, and it just was so lame. Like, it was meant to be poignant, and it was so fucking lame. <laughs> it was just so stupid. It was something almost out of like a, a parody, like a, a slapstick film. It was so lame to me. Um, I do like the nice cheeky ending, though, and, and I'll end it with this quote. Where are we? And an open denim, open denim shirted uh, Fred Ward replies, "Heaven, kid, heaven." <laughs> yeah, yeah. I did like. I was hoping they would pursue that a little bit more, but sadly, they did not. Yeah, I think it's hamstrung a bit by the fact that it's made for TV, right? So, yeah. well, I don't know. HBO films, though, sometimes they can be pretty sleazy because you know they could get away with a lot because it was cable, right? But uh, this one just didn't go there, or maybe I, Hodges wasn't allowed to go there. I think this was one though that they wanted to be able to play at six at six at night and two in the morning. Do you know yeah. what I mean? Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, it hamstrung it. Let's put it that way. It is hamstrung. So yeah. those are all my notes. All right. Um, I'll make or break for this one. Uh, it's a break. It's the camaraderie. Uh, that really hurts it. The the kid and, and Ward bickering doesn't work. And uh, it hurts the film. Uh, that, that outside the fact that the story's jumpy and Elgato Negro's not as much fun as he should be. So uh, he is he is enjoyable, but not as much fun as he should be. I agree. Like, say, a dumbass instrument if I've ever seen one. My <laughs> <laughs> um, MVT, I'm going to go with, uh, I could go with Ward. I'm going to go with Ward and Julia. I'm going to give it a, I'm going to go the double deuce on the MVT. Nice. Because I love those guys so much. And, and they're so good, you know. They, those guys could be in total shit. And this film isn't total shit. It's pretty average. But they make... They make the film the score I'm going to give it, which is uh, I'm going to give it a 5.75. A little bit above average, uh, mostly for Raul, Julia, and Fred Ward. Uh, but the film is a, it, it, it definitely struggles. Oh, yeah. Yeah, no, I'm with you, man. It's uh, my, my thing's, uh, well, kind of the same as yours. My make it break. I, I don't want to say what made it for me because what broke it was, like you said, the lack of chemistry and just the the nature but i i kind of went with the making that the end was a, i had a smile on my face at least like it didn't leave you know the last bite was was yeah. tasty so mvt i'm gonna go with julia i could have went with both because they do really make the film and my score is slightly below yours at the 5.5 average film i wouldn't go to the ends of the earth to find it out but if you can see it you know it's, it's good sunday afternoon fair yeah. decent sunday afternoon yeah. fair yeah. that's it yep all right so that is our review of florida straits from 87 that is maybe the shortest review in the history of the ggtmc and maybe in the history yeah. of cinema. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> Probably not. Uh, I don't know if you do you want to do pleasantries or you do want to just. We, we'll, uh, I can do them very quick. All right, we got five minutes. We're going to do this very quick. 
Uh, check out our sister show, Silver and Gold Show Show OTC. I'm going to talk to the Micro Machines guy. Check out Hammockiss <laughs> and shows from the Skeleton Closet Podcast on Fire, Podcast on Honor and Humanity, Sin Awesome, Action Attraction, Married with Clickers, Paleo Cinema, Girls on Film, Glee Cast, Family Movie Night, 35mm Heroes, Chin Stroker vs. Punter, Night of Living Podcast, Big Red Podcast, Better in the Dark, V Cinema, The Criterion Cast, Projection Booth, and Mondo Film Podcast. We got the movie Last, We got the movie Matchup Podcast in there yet? We got Love That Album. We also have Movie Matchup. Troy, represent... Yeah. Um, we have paracinema.net, nightmaretheater.blip.tv, we are young monster, teleport-city.com, and then blogs, these are all .blogspot.com, the GTTMC, Rupert Pupkin Speaks, Deadly Dolls, House, Chuck Norris, Ate My Baby, The Fist of B-List, Cinema Gonzo, Playground <laughs> of Doom, Scared Shiftless and Shasta, Dusty has a new uh, article up about Carnival of Souls at Playground of Doom, um, Moon in the Gutter, Wax Mask, then we have, of course, The Death Rattler at deathrattle.net, thelightningbugslayer.com, We Like Stuff 2, and A Hero Never Dies. Check out our sponsors, diabolicdvd.com, cinema-de-bazaar.com, promo code GENTLEMAN for 10% off your orders, omg-entertainment.com, uh, GGTMC10 for 10% off your orders, boulevardmovies.com, and of course, Camera Obscura with a K. Check us out on Facebook, join the groups. Uh, check us out on Twitter.com, backslash GGTMC, Large William, and Cool Cat Pickle of 10, Bob Freelander, anyone else I'm forgetting. iTunes, and that is it, that is all. What are we doing next week, Mon Frere? Uh Next week, I believe, is our Boulevard Movie Show, right? It is. All right, so next week is Feedback Stackular. <laughs> and Boulevard <laughs> Movies. And next week we are covering the Arrow Blu-ray of Red Scorpion. Yeah. So uh, we're doing Red Scorpion and feedback. So uh, we'll try to get all of it. We're almost we're getting close to getting caught up. So uh, we should be there soon. Hopefully we get caught up. We can kind of get it back where we can mix it into the regular show. But we'll see what goes. I mean, I like kind of doing what we're doing now, though. So we'll see. Um, all right. All right, that's uh, that's everything. I guess that's the big show, man. Uh, that's a record. I think we started at like five oh four, and we're finishing at five fifty seven. So, and it should be said now that we've actually done a show in under an hour. I don't like doing it this way. I like to be able to stretch our legs a little bit. Yeah, yeah. This is not optimal for us, but guys, sometimes we just you know we end up in a pickle, and this is the this is the pickle. So, and as as Curtis Blow says, these are the breaks. Yeah. So. But a show is a show, and I'm glad we got to talk about Blind Man. So it, yeah, it, it kind of cool. worked out with the stuff we chose because there wasn't a lot to say about Florida Straits, and you know we got plenty of time to talk about Blind Man, so it kind of worked out good. You imagine this was the week we did Jackie Brown and something else? <laughs> oh, we'd have been fucked up. We'd, I'd had to take that route we talked about earlier. Yeah, we'd, we'd had to take a different route. So yeah. I, I don't think no, there's no way no. I couldn't do that. No, I couldn't do that. Like, I couldn't do Jackie like that. It's like if we did eight and a half, and uh, oh, <laughs> we did eight and a half in the Wild Bunch. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> One hour for both. Go, Jesus. <laughs> All right. But uh, okay, so that is the show, guys. Uh, with that, I will say adios. Adios. Thanks for listening. You can find the gentleman at ggtmc.com. You can call the gentleman at 206-666-5207 and you can email the gentleman at midnightcinema at gmail.com 